2: Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au. Predict Australia's score with a crystal ball. And it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 finals. all thanks to McDonald's. Mackers, together and loving it. TNCs apply.
3: Welcome to Trot's Life. It is Wednesday with Wombat. And what a big show we've got planned. It's a somewhat familiar sort of a Wednesday with Wombat show at 12 o'clock. It's got Gillespie on HRV Steward and he was formerly in the Greyhound industry. And well, I want to do three or four chats with Stewards, HRV Stewards, and just uh show a bit of a different side of the industry. We had Barry Delaney on a couple couple of weeks ago. And it was very, very well received both externally and internally within the steward team as well. And there's nothing like a bit of banter with your mates as well when you've been on the radio. And I caught up with Barry on Monday at Warrigal, And, uh, geez, he's just a legend of a bloke and so well-respected amongst the industry. And it was was great feedback to the chat. So, again, today we're going with something a little bit different with uh, Scott Gillespie, the HRV steward great fellow, Scotty, too. I've had a few trips to the trots with him uh, over long journeys as well. I think I can out-talk him, but that's not unusual. Jenny Lewis will join us as well. She is uh, working, of course, hard and diligently at HRV now in her role, and she oversees pony trots, and they're really starting to kick in pony trots and such an important part of the industry what pony trots is. So... Jenny uh, and I thought it'd be good to catch back up again and keep you up to date with what's happening with Pony Trots. And Jeff Cakebread, a name, a very, very successful trainer. He strikes at 17% of winners to runners over a long time. He's trained many a cup winner as well over the journey. He's only had the 89 wins. He's got a horse in tonight at Bendigo, having its first start over the line. So we'll catch up with Jeff Cakebread as well throughout the show. First and foremost, though, I wanted to put something on the table. I do this every so often. And after Breeders Week last week, it got me thinking, and it's something I have spoken about before, and I mentioned this to a few people. So it's a little bit of a wombat's cube, as I've called them in the past. And it's redoing VicBread and how Vicbred uh, races are run. So currently at the moment, we have the Vicbred Homegrown $50,000 race that... You know, I'm just not sure it does what we want it to do, that race. Uh, it's coming up in a few weeks, and we're going to see some really nice horses step out because if it's only eligible for horses that have earned less than $10,000 prize money. I'm not sure it's really working the way it's supposed to be. We have heat semifinals and finals of our main Vic Breed at the end of the year. And I just want to just draw things back to the start and start it all over again. So we'd have no more uh, platinum no more semi-finals, no more heats, no more silver, and no more bronze. And I'll get to those reasons why. So what I would do, and when you add all this up, there's no change in spend, if that makes sense. So it's the same amount of spend in dollars. I would run three quarterly finals. So a final in April, July, and October for your bred two-year-old and three-year-olds. And what it would be, it would be just a one-off race, no heats, None of these heats where we've got six or seven horses going into a heat that then all run in a final or anything like that. So these, these fields will be decided each quarter, so the first one in April, on dollars earned this season. So that the, the highest 12 earners at uh, April or first week of April go into a Vic bred final worth $50,000. Then in July, it's the same thing the highest earners up to July. But note, horses that ran in that April version, they would be ineligible to compete in the July version. And then once again in October, another $50,000 race. So in this, you would have 36 horses, get a crack at a $50,000 race. And then in December, we have our Super Series final, $107,000. And it's the 12 highest earners across the season. No more heats and no more semis. So as I said, 36 different horses get to run in fi- a $50,000 race. Our best 12 two- and three-year-olds get into the final of the Vic Bread. So then a horse like Catcher Wave can say, after a Breeders' Crown, Andy Gath says to himself, you know what? It's only one run in December. It's not going to be a trying series of three runs. I'll give him a little bit of time off. I'll come back, and I'll have a crack at it. So young horses don't have to run in those heat semis you know, it takes a lot of runs out of their legs so we can reduce the number of starts that they have. It'll spread juvenile racing better across the season. So if you've got a good early young two-year-old or you want to dodge the really good horses that ran in the Breeders' Crown and the VicBred final, you get them going early in the year and you aim and target at that, eight, at that April $50,000 VicBred final. Trainers aren't dependent on having their horse ride at one given time. Like the homegrown is a heat and a final has to be right. If you've got your horse up and going uh, through the months of April, May and June and you're targeting that July $50,000 race and something goes slightly amiss with your horse, you put it in the paddock for a month, you bring it back, you can target the October $50,000 race. So it gives you a little bit of flexibility as a trainer if something goes wrong. Connections and tra- like trainers and drivers, you can see where your horse is ranked they do it in uh, the dual system over in New Zealand. You can just see a list of where your horse is ranked. So if you want to get into, say, that July $50,000 race and you're 14th on the rankings, you'll put your horse in a race somewhere to win that 4000 extra. might be just to get you in. So no, there wouldn't be heats and semis, but you may need to run your horse to get it into that final. Uh, no more Vic bread and bronze anomalies. Really troubled me over the time how this works. So... The Vic Bread Final takes the 12 best horses from the Vic Bread Series. Then we have a silver with the next 12 that didn't qualify for the final, and then a bronze with the 12 after that. But how that works, the horse that finishes sixth in the Vic Bread Final earns the ninth amount of prize money because the first three in the silver, who effectively finished 13th, 14th, and 15th in the series, earn more prize money than the horse that ran sixth in the final. Now, I find that very unusual. The horse that wins the silver and effectively finishes thirteenth earns the fourth most prize money, twelve and a half thousand dollars. How can you make the silver and earn more prize money than the horse that makes the grand final? So we're going to we'd be getting rid of this in this in this uh, version of Vic Bread, and of course the horse that wins the bronze effectively finishes twenty-fifth in the series. So the twelve in the final, twelve in the silver. So the winner of the bronze finishes 25th in the series and earns the sixth most, sixth most prize money of $6,000. It's just bizarre. Well, could you imagine in a tennis tournament that if you got knocked out in the round of 16, you earned more dollars than a person that made the semi-final, Or in cricket, the 13th man gets paid more than your second drop batsman? A business has a CEO, six executives, 12 general managers and 36 general employees. And one of those general employees gets paid more than one of the executives? When you put it in those terms, it is quite bizarre, the Vic Bread, uh, gold, silver and bronze. Uh, all—it It is all very strange. But what I would love, I would just love seeing those quarterly finals. I think it puts 36 horses across the year into well, – just in the one category, of course, that is. 36 in the Colts and Geldings for two-year-olds in the Phillies. 36 sets of connections. Get a crack at a $50,000 race. Uh, and then they're all still eligible to go into the Vicbred final. And by doing it off dollars earned, I think we'll end up with our best 12 horses in that uh, end-of-year $107,000 race. Uh, best 12 horses eligible at that time that want to be in it too, of course. And it would really uh, highlight and make an amazing night at the end of the year. Also, means those heats and semi-finals. So for the Christmas period, the trainers and drivers find very awkward with the uh, final, the Vic Bread Super Night being on New Year's Eve. Uh, it would negate that fact as well. As you, you, if you've earned the prize money, you could go in first up into the Vic Bread final if you're in the top twelve. That's my take on Vic Bread in the Wombats Cube this morning. Let's get a break away and we'll come back with our first guest of the day. Welcome back to Trot's Life for your Wednesday edition. And our next guest is a HRV Stewart. It's our second in hopefully a series of three or four of these, but there's a bit of a reluctance around uh, getting these stewards on, let me tell you. Uh, They're not in it for the limelight, unlike someone like me that loves a bit of uh, media time. I don't think some of the stewards do. And Scotty Gillespie's on the line there. Firstly, Scotty, mate, uh, how are you and whereabouts are you today? Uh,
4: No, off day for me today, Tobe. So, uh, yeah, a couple of things to do in the office, but, uh, yeah, not on track today, mate.
3: There's a bit... People wouldn't realise that it's not just uh, attending race days. There's actually office days back at uh, Flemington where you where, where you do things back at the office, like getting prepared for race meetings, etc. Uh, yeah. So
4: there's always one of us at least in the office uh, Monday to Friday, uh, getting getting all the stuff sorted for meetings upcoming, and also going through all the the paperwork and replays, etc. From uh, the meetings the night before. So yeah, there's always. Uh, a few hours work in the office every day for whoever's rostered in there.
3: Yeah. I'm sure everything's got its uh, pros and cons, mate, but I'd sort of prefer to be at the track than back at the office, but then it might be a bit peaceful back at the office compared to being at the track, I suppose.
4: Yeah, no, it's, it sort of breaks up your week a little bit. Um, You know, we're on track probably anywhere between two and four meetings a week, I guess. Um, But, you know, it's it's the office at the moment. It's a bit different, to probably what it was pre COVID. Obviously, with a lot of people still working from home, so yeah. there's not too much going on in the office. But uh, so it sort of lets you get done what needs to be done uh, quickly, and
3: um, yeah, get back to
4: enjoy some uh, time off.
3: Now, unlike uh, Barry, I might have to ask you a couple of questions. I only needed the one for Barry, I think, for the half an hour segment that we (laughs) did. But uh, the great man he is, Barry, he'll be listening in. It was a great chat with him. Tell us, mate, a bit about your background and growing up. And were you involved in the trots or or anything like that, or harness racing or greyhounds or gallops? Or were you just a a general kid that just liked uh, and followed the racing? Tell us a bit about your background and if you had any involvement as a kid.
4: Uh, nothing sort of on a uh, uh, too involved directly in racing as such. I'm you know, growing up with my grandparents uh, who used to uh, do the do the horse hits every Saturday afternoon and listen to the wireless and sit around and listen to that. And if we uh, if if Nan wasn't uh, down the back garden getting upset about Melbourne losing, she, uh, we'd be yeah cheering on the horses. So mainly thoroughbred racing all the way through my my life. Um, still follow it. Now greyhounds and, and harness, not so much. Um, mainly from what you just sort of watch on on Sky and listening to it on the radio, I guess. But um, yeah, I just uh, it's been thoroughbred racing and, and sport of any kind really since I've been a young bloke, anyway.
3: So you picked a few things up from your name, by the sounds of it. Uh, she didn't mind having a listen to the bet, and uh, I'm pretty sure you're a, you're a pretty devout uh, Melbourne man too, aren't you?
4: Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's been a tough couple of weeks as opposed to last year. But um, I spent forty odd years thinking we'd never get one. So uh, to get one last year was nice. A shame Nan and Nan Empire weren't around to see it. But um,
3: anyway, we go again next year, I guess. Yeah, we butter up um, a Bulldogs man, mate. So we don't need to talk footy whatsoever. So Uh, I think it's. Cr- cricket season, I think. Yeah, that's that cricket season. Or, or for you, it might be snow season still. There's that standard old, <laughs> that standard old Melbourne joke, you know. Now, <laughs> so you get to sort of 18, 19, 20, and uh, you're not that age anymore, of course. And you kick off a career in what? Or what did you head into doing? Did you go to university and study to be a, a, a lawyer? Or where did your life kick off like that?
4: No, like once I finished school, I wasn't too keen on keeping on studying. So I um, took up uh, hospitality traineeship. Did that for a couple of years, just working in a couple of sports clubs. One which was uh Springvale Footy Club back in the days when they were still back in the VFA. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So I did that, did that for a couple of years, and then um, yeah, went into transport actually. So um, logistics operational tight work with a uh, and did that for 16 years. So I did that with uh, three or four different companies, sort of in between times, and uh, was in that for 16 years with one year, one one gap in between where I spent a year overseas um, doing a bit of travelling and the like. So, but um, yeah, and sort of got to the end of that and needed needed a change.
3: So you're sort of plodding along at that, and I suppose oh, you need a change. And were you keeping your eye out for jobs and looking at Seek or what? Like I know you you took up Greyhound work as a greyhound steward so how exactly did that come about
4: uh it probably just got to the stage where working sort of you know starting early and working sort of late in the afternoon and you know with two kids at home it just got to the stage where you weren't seeing them a hell of a lot you weren't seeing them wake up in the morning and you'd, yeah. you'd be struggling to see them late, you know in the afternoons and just all became a bit too much and i i wanted to get away from working sort of um well, what most people would term normal hours, I guess. So it was, it's, uh, you don't probably hear too many people say that they're happy to work weekends and nights. But to me, yeah, the change was a bit, uh, oh, not so much difficult. It was just more to, more difficult, probably, for the wife and kids back at home. But, uh, it didn't take long to adjust. And it's just, um, works out better for for all of us now, like working the hours that I do. So, no, it was a, yeah. certainly a good change to make.
3: Yeah, 100%. So, how what got you into the Greyhounds?
4: Uh, just by chance, really. We spent uh, a week or two up in Queensland, and I was dreading going back to work. And uh, yeah, I was telling telling Lisa, my wife, and she's. I walked in on Monday morning and resigned, and I rang her. She wasn't overly pleased because I didn't have a job to go to. Yeah. And uh, yeah, about three three hours later, I got a call from um, Growing Race Victoria offering me well an interview initially, um, which all sort of um, yeah. Moved, moved into that straight away so it all sort of uh all worked out in the end so it sort of probably made my decision a lot uh, a lot easier uh leaving transport when i did to walk straight into it to another job
3: and I, I i know it sounds strange but organizing logistics and everything there would be some carryover to stewarding like a, you wouldn't think of it on the surface but i'm sure you know being organized and all those things and prepared and planned and would all carry over into stewarding as well
4: yeah, there's yeah, there's certainly some, some um some skills that I I took over to, to stewarding. Um, you know, even on track dealing with a lot of you know, different people and yeah people from different backgrounds and um all that sort of thing. So yeah, I think it, it sort of pointed me in the right direction anyway, to to give me a bit of a head start moving across. Um being sort of you know, late thirties I guess when I when I actually made the move, had a fair bit of um life, you know, life experience. experience I like to think behind me anyway. <laughs> yeah.
3: Now, tell us a bit about uh, being a greyhound steward. And I know we were joking at the trots the other day about getting two greyhounds in the room and asking about the interference on the first corner. Clearly, there's none of that happens. And on the surface, you'd sort of think, well, what exactly does a greyhound steward have to do?
4: Yeah, no, no. Listening to listening to Barry uh, <laughs> give us a recount of that interview was even,
3: uh, those, yeah, those
4: interviews was even more amusing. But anyway, um, no, look, I, I guess um, greyhound stewarding, as opposed to to, to harness, uh, lot there's a lot more going on, I guess harness wise to, to keep you know to keep a look on pre race, during the race, and obviously post race, as opposed to what there is greyhounds. Um, so there's a lot more involved in the harness side of things and. Um, I probably got the stage at Greyhound where I felt as though I would sort of got to a level that I could then push on and use those skills um, in a not so much a, a, a tougher scenario, but uh, just just where there's a lot more a lot more to take in. Uh, I've been lucky yeah, yeah. since coming across the harness to to work with a lot of good you know experienced stewards that have uh, still till today are helping me along, and there's new things you pick up every day.
3: Um, yeah you know, as, as you'd be well aware, you know there's not two meetings where uh, they all run exactly the same, so it's <laughs> no, not hundred percent and it's there's a fair team there, isn't there? You don't sort of a lot of people wouldn't realize it, but the the stewards, very close-knit bunch and uh, a lot of great camaraderie amongst them, and uh, I'm sure it wouldn't have taken you long to realize that and just feel like you're just part of that team
4: yeah no it certainly didn't. Um, you know obviously starting a new job is um, is always a little bit daunting, even though you, you you're confident that you can, can can do the job. but yeah no, walking into um, you know, a, a, a steward room with you know, with Brett Day, Nick Murray, uh, Grant Adams, Adrian Crow, they've all got a lot of experience behind them, um, and even you know working with Barry and, and Dez uh on an irregular basis. Uh, there's there's a lot of experience there, a lot of knowledge that you know I'm certainly you know taking taking in from the start and still taking in today. So, but uh, yeah, look, we 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 enjoy the company of each other as well, um, you know. But when there's work to be done, it gets done, and that's the main thing.
3: Is it we we have a lot of trainers on, and we hear their background, they worked with. Barry Purden, and then they worked with, you know, Chris Alford, and then they worked for John McCarthy, and they all say, you know, they got a little bit from each of them. Is that similar for you with all those names you just mentioned, the Brett Days and Nick Murray's and Grant Adams and Barry Delaney's? You can just, as you're learning the the craft of stewarding a harness race as opposed to a greyhound race, are you just taking a little bit from each of them, if that makes sense?
4: Yeah, I think you have to. I think, yeah, there's no point sort of adopting. You know any any one individual exactly. I think you know I I do things differently to to how you know Brett Nick and Grant would do things normally. But picking up the way they go about it in different scenarios and and sort of putting them into play myself. Uh, yeah, absolutely, hundred percent. You gotta um, yeah just take it all in as you go and use what use what you can um you know, to get to get the right result at the end.
3: Tell us. Um... Oh, I've just lost me. I just had a question, man. I was listening to your answer and then I've lost the uh, question, mate. Um, The travel and everything. You do a fair bit of travel and and you're the eastern side of town. There's not a lot of race meetings the eastern side of town, but uh, there's a fair burden on the travel as well.
4: Yeah, I guess, uh, yeah, as opposed to Greyhounds, we've sort of got, or yes, had and still got half a dozen tracks out the east of Melbourne, so... Most of my work was done at those tracks, whereas yeah, as you say, harness is a lot different. I've um, only sort of got the three three tracks out this side being Yarrawilly, Cranbourne, and Warrigal. So um, yeah, fair bit of travel. Um, you know, there's not a lot of time where actually where I'm actually travelling on my own. So there's always usually you know, a couple of us in the car, which makes those long trips a, a little bit easier to get through. And um, yeah and amusing tales get told on uh, trips to and from the track as you can imagine.
3: <laughs> best horse you've seen so far? mate, in in just how when did you start? It must be nearly 2 years now, but what's the best horse you've seen over the last couple of years? Uh,
4: yeah, about eight, yeah, 18 eight months I started, so um yeah, it's gone quick, even uh even you know been lucky obviously through covid to to keep on racing and to um yeah, just not not much has changed at uh, at my end, which has been very lucky. Um, I guess just uh, seeing Lock and Bar Art up, up close and personal. back now recently. Obviously, there's a fair bit of time off, but uh, yeah, no, it's you know probably probably the best one I've I've seen since I've been working here. Um, but yeah, there's uh, certainly some some good up and coming horses uh, coming through. That's for sure. That um, you know it makes makes working that little bit more enjoyable when you've got um, some really really good horses that are running at the race meeting.
3: Certainly does, and you get a bird's eye view of them right up close and personal as well. Scotty, mate, thanks thanks a million for coming on. Been uh, great to get to know you a little bit and hear a little bit about your journey and it just shows that you just never know where your life can head in many regards, isn't it? You can be organising logistics one day, a greyhound steward the next, and seemingly probably only felt like a day later you were you were walking in as a HRV steward. So who knows where uh, your life can head and who knows where our next steward will come from. So, Scotty, thanks a million for coming on, mate.
4: No worries. Thanks, Wombat.
3: Right, let's get to the news and we'll come back the other side of the news and we'll see if we can catch up with a tip or two, possibly from Darren Carroll. Uh, we'll have snuck that out of the Gareth Hall show in a little bit of uh, magic that happens uh, behind the scenes with radio. And then Garrick Knight in our regular segment with Gary Knight, Garrick Knight, our weekly segment, will catch up on all the things from around the HRNZ space into Australia.
1: Um, SEN track, especially in our giddyup Up Studios. Darren Carroll, he's done the form for us at stall and Bendigo on the trots. Take it away, Darren, with your best bets, mate, and well done yesterday. Um with your trotter winning. Um it was superb at Melton.
5: Thanks, Gareth. Yes, uh, very, very happy with him. So um yeah, we'll attempt to help out the listeners again this morning. All right, mate. Um so like one at Storl, so there's only six races at stall but like one here. Um, you'll know the horse. Uh, race six number four, Charisma King. Um I tipped this one fairly heavily at Muldura last start and was um, you know, backed right into short price favourite and it was just going to win and galloped about 50 metres from the line. Um, still trying to get over it. But um, today, it'll, you know, it will looks like it might find the front. If it doesn't, it's not the end of the world. Uh, Could sit in the death and still win and loves this track and I just think it'll be too good in the last race today at stall. So race six, number four, Charisma King. And Bendigo.
1: Um,
5: then we head to, yep, head to Bendigo. Got three tips here. Um, race three, number four, Champagnes. It's a James Herbertson, uh, Nick, um, Nick Youngston trained horse. Nick Youngston trained a lot of winners going back in the days, Denny Boucher, but he hasn't trained a winner since April 2018. Okay. So um, he's got a task ahead based on that. But uh, it's only had three starts. The last two starts have been against um, seasoned horses. And most importantly tonight, it gets into a nil lifetime wins race. And I um, think it's found a really, really suitable race. So, very keen on race three, number four, Champagnes. Uh, then we go to race four, number two, Baccaray, um, Ben old trained horse, drawn to lead. Um, doesn't look like a lot of pressure, which is a formula that I like, and I just think it leads and wins. And then I'm betting in race six, and I uh, look, I think I'm like shooting Bambi here because I'm going to go against Shawnee. So oh,
0: okay.
5: I'm tipping race six, number 10, Elder Barandino. I think Shawnee's a really talented horse, but I think this one's a star on the rise. Um, really keen on him. He galloped last start when he was on the front row and he got just got too keen on the mobile. Uh, I think the second row is a blessing. Um, he gave them an enormous start last time and um, those on track said he um, caught up and made up an amazing amount of ground in very, very quick time. So I just think um, he is a horse of the future, and I'm happy to go with Elder Dino as my best of the day. Love it. Then um, to go tonight. Race
1: 6, number 10. Good on you, Darren. Keep on dominating, mate. Thanks Cheers. for that. See you. We'll take a quick break. On the other side of it, we'll have some dog tips for you as well.
3: Horses that race in New Zealand, he knows. When they have their first start in Australia, he tells. When they trial at Hamilton in Victoria, I know. Knightexports at com. They know. Garrick R. Knight on Twitter. You know what I mean. Garrick, how are you this fine day?
6: I'm well, thank you, Valvoline man. I am sitting here in the rain in Auckland, which for us is just another day. <laughs> um, the, the sunny days are so, 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 few and far between now. I've actually forgotten what it's like. So. yep, just gives us more time to stay inside and watch horse uh, tapes and videos, and make calls and get the information for the punters.
3: It doesn't normally rain at a bar, though. No, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> I,
6: uh, I t- I'm going to. I've got a meeting tonight, actually, uh, with this, my local cricket team. Um, they're calling it an AGM, but um, I'm. Not surprised to learn it's been held at a local bar. So, dare <laughs> say the uh, the matters of importance will last about seven minutes, and I probably won't leave for a couple
3: of hours. Yep, picking up what you're putting down there. Now let's get into some business and uh, race today at stall race five number one is a horse called Millwood Jesse, who's New Zealand bred, and I've got a bit of information on this horse, even if you don't.
6: Yeah, well, I really can't give listeners much insight at all. She left here over a year ago as an early two-year-old without trialing or racing. Okay. Um She didn't didn't go through the yelling sales. I looked through all the results there. She wasn't there. I just not, I'm not sure. It's obviously, the client, the owners have brought her privately somehow. Um, she's from a very good family. You know, Millwood um, Millwood Touche's been a good good producer all the way through. Um. yeah, but, you know, with Matty Maddie, Maddie Craven, uh, generally these Kiwi imports, he finds a knack of um, getting them to win fairly quickly. So maybe I'll defer to you for more insight on this one.
3: Yeah, trialled at Hamilton last week, and I was there last week. It trialled okay. It, it had a bit of gate speed, so I expected it'll hold up at stall if it wants, but he then did hand up in that trial. So if he leads and hands up, I expect it will go okay, but I wouldn't expect it to just win today. It was a There was three three-year-olds in the trial from memory, and there was a two-year-old in the trial as well by the name of uh, Clive's Girl uh, for Charlene Guzman, who's down uh, at Equin South uh, tr- working, I think, for Matt Craven and training a few of her own horses. It trialled ultra impressive. It sat four back the fence. It was last at the 400-meter mark. She pulled it out. It was a little bit green. It was by, It was a real typical Better's Delight going horse, which it's by Better's Delight, and she never asked anything of it, and it just got to the line as sweet as can be, you know, without being asked. It really looks like it's got a motor in it. And on figure form, it only ran fourth in a trial at Hamilton, so anyone that didn't see it, uh, would just sort of think, you know, oh, it's only gone so-so. But it was pretty impressive, a horse called Clive's Girl. So one, for one uh, not quite New Zealand or anything, but uh, well worth taking note of. And Millwood Jess, Maddie, unless Maddie was toying with him and just joking, you know, having a real dead set quiet trial last week, it wouldn't surprise me if it won today. But off the back of that, I wouldn't expect it just to lead and dominate its stall. Mate. Race one, number seven at Bendigo tonight, and I reckon a lot of people will be very interested in what you've got to say about Tiff's little sister. Uh,
6: is she at Bendigo? Is she? At what, what race did you say?
3: Yeah,
6: Bendigo, isn't it? Race. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's in race. Oh, race one, number seven. I thought you said race seven, number one. You have me confused. Um, yeah, Tiff's little sister. Well, this is going to be the acid test here. This is what's going to... The acid test. I'm, I'm very, very curious because in the last few weeks, months, pretty much anything that Emma, Emma Stewart's lined up from New Zealand, these ex-mares and fillies, I've, I've said, well, they'll just win because they just seem to figure them out and place them well and get them humming. And generally they do. They all just seem to keep winning. Now, this one, I'll be honest, I really didn't rate it that highly in New Zealand. And it came from Mark turton and Natalie Rasmussen. So well, I will be—I'm very interested to see how she furnishes as a. Well, she's still a two-year-old under the under the under the new regime, I guess. She will be a th- early three-year-old as you know, most of us were accustomed to. Now, um, she did run second in a stakes race at her last start. She was already brought before that race by Ben Stud as a broodmare, potent, you know yeah, a, yeah. A potential broodmare. She, she's very well related half sister, I think, to Princess Tiffany, um, as the name suggests. And we know what a what a grand mare she was. So so they bought her as a brood mare. Um anything she does on the track is a bonus now. But that that group I want oh, to say it was a group two race that she ran second and last start, it was only five horses. And she, the three the one that won it was a stable mate. Um, absolutely destroyed them, select called Millwood Nike. And the three that she beat home there's no no, no major upside there at this stage that like none of them have come out and done anything of any great note, so it was possibly a very flattering second. The three starts before that I thought were just okay a couple of minor placings um and soft field. so look, she may have improved Emma and Clayton may may get the best out of her or you know whatever, but I certainly don't think she is a Win by 25 metres from the outside of the gate, Philly, from what I've seen. Yeah, yeah. So maybe maybe the blood will kick in. You know, Dancing Diamonds, the mother, she was a wonderful mare herself, or Philly, very, very good Philly. So, you know, on paper, she ticks all the boxes. But I think if you just went back and watched those last four starts in New Zealand back in the early winter, late, late autumn, you'd probably feel the same way. You'd think, yeah, just okay. Yeah, Yeah. so that's about all. That's about the best lean I can give uh, listeners this week. Is is I'd prefer to see, and knowing Emma and Clayton, they'll prove me wrong. She'll come out and she'll probably (laughs) smash them. Well, but I can only be honest from what I can, what I know.
3: Yeah, race. Yeah, oh, I comment any further because improving horses off Mark Purden and Natalie Rasmussen ain't an easy thing to do, I wouldn't have thought. It's going from the best in New Zealand to the best in Australia so you wouldn't have thought there'd be much different. So it'd be very interesting tonight an interesting runner who is probably going to start pretty short price favourites so uh, we'll see how that lines up. Race Geelong mate, there's a couple of Geelong to talk about. If uh, We'll have plenty of time, I think. Race two, number four, American Hammer, a first-up horse, uh, first starter for Josh Diggy and Sam Kilgower. It's uh, $2.50 marked by, uh, I assume that's Craig Rail. that's probably done it at Geelong. So it must have trialled pretty impressively, and you do know something about this horse.
6: Oh, I don't know, don't, don't know a heck of a lot. Um, I can just fill in a few gaps. It was, It had one trial over here, Oh gee, it must have been last year, um, maybe mid to, mid twenty twenty one. I think it was well before Josh and Sammy moved over, and they've been there. Yeah, I'm just looking it up here. Twenty ninth of May. So it had its it had its one and only New Zealand appearance in a workout eighteen months ago, basically. Hmm. Um, so I'm I'm unsure of, w- of what the delay has been. I feel like I saw this horse in the fields, and we possibly even talked about it. Six months ago, and it was a late scratching. Maybe I might be getting confused there, but it's it possibly they maybe he's had a setback. Um, but look, he he's a very well-related horse. Um, you know, Lancewood Lizzie was a Group One winner here. She she was a brilliant mare for Barry Purden. Um, the American ideals they seem to flourish, and yeah, um, Dom doesn't race trash, and Josh. Um, Josh has always been a, a, a trainer along with his father John. They've always had a high strike rate. You know, when they take one to the races, they do so with pride, um, and are and, you know, expecting strong result. They certainly don't go there to make up the numbers. So I've got to, I've got to think that this horse is going to be ready to rumble this week. Um, I guess you, it'll be determined what the bookies open on that. But if, if there's an early market shift, well, that'll be your guide, won't it? I suppose. One- um, I mean, I can I can comment on the, the workout, but it was. It was a, it was slower than qualifying speed, and it was 18 months ago. So what are we really going to learn from that?
3: Yeah, it's had it's had two trials here for two wins at Melton, and the second one a beat upsize me who won very impressively at Warrigal on Monday. So uh, you'd expect off the back of that into this field, just on its trial form in Victoria. Um, it would be uh, a fair chance of winning that race, like a really, really uh, $2.50 is probably going to be over, so I'd expect it'll start a bit shorter, though there is an Andy Gath first starter off the second row. Another one in, mate, and maybe, <laughs> funny enough, you said that you thought we might have talked about American Hammer six months ago. Well, reckon we certainly did talk about John James Preston six months ago, and I was at Cranbourne, when it was gonna have its first start for Elby Ashwood, and it put on a real performance, uh, it hit the hit the mobile gate and got fired up, and uh, caused the false start, and then it threw itself on the ground a couple of times, and it was eventually scratched from the race. It had another go at Bendigo, where it did a similar thing, and Elby uh, was in that fall a few months ago with changed Stables to uh, Reese Nicholson. Elby is back; uh, he had his first drive at Warrigal on Monday, actually back, but. Uh, he's a curious character, John James Preston. So I thought it might be worth uh, touching on this horse again. He ran second in a Backus Marsh trial to Supreme Dominator, who would go around in a 52 to 55 class race at a dollar. You could not get a bet on Supreme Dominator <laughs> in this race. He's run second in a trial to him there. And it was only a three-horse field, and there was 35 horses at Backus Marsh Sunday morning for the trial. So I'm not 100% sure it would have felt like a race for John James Preston, I'd say it would have felt like a trial. And Thursday night at Geelong, it'll be under lights, there'll be horses everywhere, and I just wonder if he's going to get away. What are your thoughts?
6: Yeah, well, you've said most of it. Look, the, yeah, the, simple yeah. thing with this, the simple thing with this horse is he's got all the ability in the world. He just needs to... It's not even score up. He just needs to get, get up on the gate as it starts moving. There, there is a real... He's got a real problem with that. Um, I've spoken to the former trainer who confirmed it was an issue over here. Just a, He's got a bee in his bonnet about about the gate, and apparently he needs to be stood there at the start looking with his nose resting on the gate. Well, that's what they were doing in New Zealand, but I don't think, I'm not sure in Australia, when they're um, milling round at the start,
3: are the mobile
6: arms extended or are they, are they uh, retracted at they're, that point?
3: They're out, but they're not allowed to go up and just stand at the gate.
6: Right, so that's that's obviously the problem because that's what he was doing in New Zealand um, to calm him down and get him focused and hasn't been able to do that over there. So I guess Reese Nicholson's been tasked with trying to get inside this horse's head and convince him that the mobile is his friend and yeah. he should be happy to chase after it. Um, the day I shouldn't laugh because it's you know the connections have been very patient waiting for the horse to be able to line up and I I'm pretty sure that se- that second time it happened he, he might have um, injured himself or you know he did cut yeah. bruises or something from from maybe going on the track so yeah look if, if I if I knew if we knew this horse was going to score up and go around um, he he should be a dollar forty I think but yeah th- there's that, that issue with with the manners at the start so. And he's an older horse as well. He didn't start... He wasn't broken until he was about four or five. That's the thing. Um, I mean, he's eight now, but he's only... He's, yeah, I think he's he's turning eight based on his birth date in about a month's time. But he's only had 20 career starts. He didn't race till he was about five. So, lightly race, but it's just a matter of how do you re-educate an older horse that's got that kind of mentality. So... Hopefully, Mr. Nicholson's got it sorted and um, the owners, Michael and Nathan Falvo, um, can get some good returns because once he's away, um, there should be plenty. So, yep, fingers yeah. crossed. Um, all I can hope is that uh, the stewards don't keep penalising him because I'm sure he'll run out of chances eventually if he keeps doing this. They'll, they'll get to the point, I don't know what the protocol is, but there must be a point in time that comes where they say he has they to do. go to trials and and do it a number of times before he's allowed back at the races.
3: So. Uh, and there's been horses that then do it at the trials and they've been barred from racing full stop. So he's a little bit of ways off that. Garrick, mate, as per usual, thank you very much for coming on and we will do this all again next Wednesday. Thank you, sir. Very good. Thanks, Garrick. be McKinnon. Making sure I'm not
0: If you still listen, keep bursting.
1: a great edition so far of the Wednesdays with Wombat. He caught up with a few of these people yesterday, it must be said. He's a bit busy at the moment, the Wombat, so he's given you a a bit of a pre-recorded show today, but make sure you podcast anything you may have missed and he will be back tomorrow with Jason Bonington as well, right here on SEN Track. Big day coming up, Miles Fitzner's in the house, Tags will be here shortly as well. Sandown, Warwick Farm, Doomben, Belmont, and Narendra, as well as Balaclava, we are going right across the country today. Don't miss it. 0499 736 736. Miles Fitzner, David Taggart, doing what they do best on a Wednesday afternoon. And that is to give you winners. We'll have all the tips from uh, Giddy Up with Garrett this morning when he caught up. With all his guests, Mick Ken Jr. and among those as well, zero four double nine seven three six seven three six at sen underscore track. Best bets will be up there. Sen track on Instagram as well. And don't forget to get involved with uh, my racehorse and the Same Racer app. They can make it a reality to you if you want to own a horse. To enter, download the Same Racer app and submit two same race multis to go in the running to be crowned the punter of the week. For 20 weeks, the punter of the week will win 10 micro shares in my racehorses exciting new two-year-old colt by first season sire grunt. Download the same race app today and submit your same race multis for your chance to win season C's do apply. The same racer app, that's what we need you to do. Coming up next though Jeff Cakebread going to join Toby McKinnon for another chat. The last hour of Trot's life coming your way next. Stay with us.
3: Welcome back to Trot's Life and we've had a number of guests on similar to Jeff Cakebread over the journey. We had Brian Johnston a few weeks ago tell some classic tales from back in the day and Funnily enough, uh, doing my preparation, I found a race that uh, Jeff beat one of Brian's horses in at Moonee Valley many, many years ago. And uh, Jeff's about to join us. I think we're going to go back a little ways here and, and find out the journey of uh, Jeff Cakebread, who does have a horse in over the line at uh, Bendigo. But uh, first and foremost, Jeff, how are you and whereabouts do we find you today?
7: Um, yeah, I'm good, thanks, Toby. Um, you find me in Barham now. We've been um, living in Barham for about the last six years. Um, shifted up from Bendigo and, um, yeah, a bit of a different way of life up here, mate. A lot quieter.
3: I always had you pegged for uh, Elmore. Were you at Elmore for a long time? Yeah. Yeah,
7: yeah. yeah. Um, we were at Elmore for 20 oh, odd years. Um, I think we shifted up there in about 1977, 78 or something. And, um, yeah, there for about 24, 25 years.
3: Did you grow up in harness racing as a kid and was it your dad or your granddad or was it old, old mate next door or who got you involved in um,
7: harness racing? Yeah, a bit of both, Toby. Um, my grandfather, he, um, he he trained a couple of horses, um, but he was uh, he was also um, at one stage Australian Rodeo champion. Yeah,
4: okay. Um
7: and, and his brother and that supplied all the Rodeo horses, well, virtually for Australia, I think. Um, dad wasn't that interested in, he um, always owned one or two but, um, and then oh, we had a bit of a farm in Mornington we, I was born in Mornington, we had a bit of a farm down there and oh, one of the neighbours had a trotter and worked it on the farm so yeah, and oh, I had a pony and that was, as a kid and that and um, yeah, always always loved the horses so that's, um, that's how I got involved mainly yeah, through the grandfather and um, this other guy that was working a horse on the farm.
3: Now, well okay kick off into the 70s mate and I, I found something somewhere which you referred to a trip in 1975 to Perth with the late Gavin Lang and uh, tell us a little bit about that trip and I can only imagine you would have only been what 20 or 19 or something and Gav would have been pretty much about the same age at oh, it would have been a fun old trip I'd say
7: Yeah um, <laughs> I think um, I was 21 I think Toby um, and I'd just been married um, just got married and um, Gav Gav was about three years younger than me. I think I think he was um, he was about eighteen. I, mean, I reckon he was seventeen or eighteen. Yeah. And um, but uh, Gav sort of that was um, I think that was the first um, um, juniors junior drivers championship that they had. Yeah, yeah. Um, and like Gav, he got there on ability, but I, I was lucky like, enough to be driving a good horse at that time, um, Dylan and We sort of. Oh, well, he sort of steered himself, so he made me look good. So I think I was a bit lucky to sort of get on that trip. But um, I didn't really want to go because, oh, I hate airplanes. And um, I remember the wife come with me, and we hadn't been married that long. And I think I laid on the back seats on the plane. And and wife, Lee, um, her and Gav played cards all the way over and all the way back, I think. So, <laughs> yeah, but um, no, that was, well, she's going back a fair way now, though. Gav, um, baby.
3: Gav, Gav probably got 100 out of her on the flight too, playing cards.
7: <laughs> oh, well, yes, he was, um, yeah, yeah, he was sort of, he knew what he was doing even back then, Gav. <laughs> but, um, yeah, he knocked me over too on the first turn that put me out of the race too, Gav, he did. <laughs> but, no, that was um, that was a good trip.
3: So you were driving then at 21 and, what, were you working for a trainer or were they all your own horses or what was the go there?
7: Yeah, um I no, I never sort of really worked for a trainer. Um sorta of picked it up myself. Back then we we're sorta of mainly in the Gallopers, Toby. Um okay. did a lot of pre training and that for or oh, you might know the Theo Howe. Um but back then he was um oh he was sorta of king of the jumpers and he had a oh big stable of jumpers and oh some handy flat horses. Um yeah, he used to work them. used to love love working the Gallopers. And um, oh he trained for some Oh big um, big owners, like Sir Henry Baldy he was the Premier of Victoria and um the chairman of the VRC and all that, they um he had some huge owners and uh, they um they'd always come down to Theo's, oh about every second Sunday uh every second Friday, sorry, and uh, go, go for a can of lunch, then come out to my place. And, like I was only nineteen or twenty at the stage that's that stage and I'd have a care lunch and have a few drinks and come out to my place. And um, they were certainly different people after they'd had a few drinks, I can tell you that. But, um, you yeah, know, different altogether what you saw in the media and that. But um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was a bit overwhelming when you'd have um, the premiers and um, CEOs of um, Racing Victoria on that. But, um, yeah, I love the Gallopers.
3: So, yeah, so what got, what was the connection to the harness then? Who, like, who were you driving horses for, to be in a Junior Drivers' Championship? You were obviously getting a few winners at the time.
7: Yeah, we, um, me and my dad bought um, Dylan Tishan at the Yellon sales. Um, I think I was only about, oh, I would have been maybe 16 then. And, um, yeah, by the time um, I did that um, trip with Gav, well, Dylan Tishan had won a few races and... Uh, yeah, he sort of made me look good, and um, yeah, that's that's where I sort of got. He was the first horse we had, Dylan Tichen, and um, yeah. yeah, he was a well, he was he was a good horse, and um, I sort of thought, oh, this is easy, the trots are easy, so um, <laughs> went with the trots, and um, yeah, found out not not long after that, it's pretty hard caper.
3: <laughs> it is a pretty hard caper, but geez, you had a couple of good horses. Uh, I'll go through a few of them. Kunara Dale, right? At twenty three starts, and that was it. He won, yeah. he won a Gunbauer Cup and a Bort Cup in those 23 starts, and his last start was in a Yarra Valley Cup, but he didn't race till he was seven years of age. Tell us a bit about Canara Dale. Yeah.
7: yeah. Um, Max Wishart had him, um, and I saw him... Oh, he ran in a restricted... I think it was a restricted meeting at Elmore Yeah. when he was... Uh, he, he could have been three-year-old or four-year-old, Um, and he bowed both tendons, and um, I said to... I said to Max oh, a couple of years later, I said, Whatever happened to that horse? And he said, Oh, he's just out in the paddock and um I think a couple of other trainers might have had him tried to get him right, but um yeah, he kept going sore and I said, Oh, you wanna I'd would would they be interested in leasing him to me and um yeah, end up leasing him. I think I got him I think he was a seven year old when I got him. Yeah. And um yeah, I oh, he was a he was a he was a good horse, Genaro Dale. Um great trying horse. Um yeah i think i don't know how many races he won um but he um yeah he had two bow tendons and we did a lot of swimming with him but um i think if he had have um if he had have had good legs he he could have he could have been a real top horse
3: lord Abbey was another horse and won three at mooney valley i think from memory at uh yeah one as a three year old at charlton and on the twenty third of April '88, uh, you won at Mooney Valley and you beat Graeme Johansson home on one, which would have been it would have been uh, it would have got mentioned during the week at Elmore, I'd imagine.
7: Yeah, um, well, Graeme wasn't <laughs> Elmore then. Um, oh, he wasn't. He, he was over at Sebastian. No, oh, he was at okay. Sebastian then.
3: Yeah, yeah, okay.
7: yeah. Um, but um, yeah, Lord Abbey. He was a, yeah, he was a pretty fair horse. Lord Abbey had a. He was very fast out the gate. I think he was one of the fastest um, mobile horses. Oh well, of at of that time, you know, and um, yeah, he, he, yeah, in the right race you could. Um, he was a good horse. Yeah, he, he, if he drew the front, he could lead, you know. And if there was a better horse in it, you'd he, let him go and sit behind him. He, he, he was a little bit weak, but um, yeah, he had great speed out of the gate, which um, which helped him a lot.
3: Do Do you remember a horse called Lake Brewster, who was by uh, Best of Fella? You mightn't. He Lake was... Brewster, yeah. Nah. Teddy Demler had him. Uh, he was owned by my father. He won, oh, yeah. He was by Best of Fella. Yeah, yeah,
7: name rings a bell.
3: Yeah, he was by Best of Fella. He was a black stallion, beautiful black stallion. And there was another horse by Best of Fella who was a beautiful black stallion as well, Elmore Feller, who you trained to yeah. 18 wins. He won the Owen Cup, Bort Cup, St. Arnold Cup. And I know there's something you're going to tell me about this horse because he was just a jet from a certain circumstance.
7: Yeah, he um he was a good and start horse. Rodney. Rodney. Um he yeah, he was as good a standing start horse as um Lord Abbey was a mobile horse, you yeah, know. Yeah. And um yeah, no, he he yeah, he um horses like him and Lord Abbey, Canora Dale, you, you know, they were they were real good horses because if they drew good and in the right field you could have a you'd have a bet, you know, and um, they they would they just never let you down. Um yeah, they they were just just so reliable and, um, yeah, good horses.
3: The, the, the Bort Cup, you pinched it twice, once with Kinara Dale and once with Elmore Fowler. Was that a special race to you or was it just one of those coincidences that you just happened to pinch it a couple of times?
7: Um, yeah, no, just, yeah, they, yeah. we used to like going to Bort. Um, there was good people at Bort and um, and it was it's not far from Elmore because um, we were at Elmore at the time. Um, yeah, but, yeah, they were good races and, um, yeah, just loved it. Oh, any race is good to win, but you win a cup race, and um, especially when you're not far from home. It's, uh, yeah, there's something about that, yeah, for sure.
3: So all this time through the 70s, 80s and 90s, you know, Canara Dale won, what, nine and Lord Abbey won 15 and Elmore Fella won 18, all at better than sort of 30% strike rates, which is pretty amazing. You had a few others come and go, but you didn't really keep going with harness racing. did you? Did you take a turn of events somewhere in the 90s there?
7: Um, yeah, Toby, we, oh, we had a, we worked on eight or 10 horses, 12 horses or something at the time and, oh, we had a, I think we, we were training for about three or four bookmakers and, <laughs> um, there was a bit of pressure on when, <laughs> when things were going good, everything was right but, oh, we went through a bit of a period there where, you know, horses weren't going quite as good and, oh, they weren't good enough and, um, oh, I said to the wife, I said, I might just have a bit of a break from this. So we, um... We sort of didn't get right out of them. Always had, I've always had one or two horses, but um, we sort of sold the place at Elmore and went to Bendigo for 20-odd mm-hmm. years and, yeah, bought a couple of other businesses and, um, yeah, they were good. Yeah, really enjoyed that and uh, always kept a horse or two and broke a few in for Cory and Dave Van Ryn and a couple of other trainers. Yeah, yeah. And, um, but, um, yeah... Um, didn't sort of race many. Might have raced one or two. And then we shifted up to Barham and, yeah, sort of got a couple again now. So, yeah.
3: Yeah, last winter was a couple of years ago, Ideal Velocity. So it, it seemed to be going well and just vanished. So I, I assume yeah. something went wrong there.
7: Yeah, yeah she, um, she had a bit of ability. I um, hmm. had about eight or nine starts or whatever. And she won a couple on about six placings. And, um, yeah, went sore. Um so we're breeding from her, Toby. Um, got a yearling colt, uh, yearling gelding now um, by Vincent, rising two year old. Um, yeah, real good pacer and real good type of horse, so we can only hope a bit there. And um, and she's got a wingling on her, or just taken the foal off her by Ultimate Machete. Um, so, And she's a pretty well bred mare, American ideal mare. But um, yeah, she did have a bit of ability, but unfortunately, went miss, and um, yeah, just breeding from her.
3: Bre- breeding wasn't something, all those good horses you had, they never seemed to have been bred by the family or by yourself. So is that something new, the breeding, over the last few years? Um, we did breed a bit
7: earlier on, we, um, but mainly just buying them at the, at the, um, at the sales, Toby, now. I yeah. have been for a good while. Um, we bred a, oh, a bit of fairly handy horse there. Oh, is might be before you before your time of it, Toby um, Bretmore out of one of our mares and um yeah, he won quite a few races. Uh, he was a good horse but he was a bit mad but um Ginger Gleason ended up with him. He,
3: That's right. He
7: him, but um, yeah yeah I think he he would have won, I don't know, maybe later ten races or something. But yeah, not not really into the breeding.
3: Now tell us a bit about Over the line as it's first start at Bendigo race one number two. Uh, trial ran third in a trial at Maryborough, which on paper they only ran home in two six, but fifty nine two twenty eight four. I haven't watched the trial, but sometimes they can trial okay and not really appear. So we we got high hopes for uh, over the line, or are you just having a look t- at, at this stage at Bendigo? Um, yes, yeah,
7: she was. She only just went at Maryborough, but she oh, she didn't need a um, run badly, um, but. A couple of times she's worked at home, she sort of works like Andy Orse. Um, but she's got to take that to the races. Um, but, yeah, and I think tomorrow night there's a, there's a few in it that go all right, I think. But, um, yeah, I, I think um, after a run or two, yeah, she could be... She, yeah, she, as I say, a couple of times she has worked like Andy Orse, So, But, yeah, probably as long as she gets around tomorrow, does everything right and, and goes okay, that'll be good tomorrow night.
3: Johnny Cowdo in the cart mates, so, uh bike you've known since he was probably only a boy, I'd imagine, and you had a lot of success with him teaming up and I always thought Johnny was a great stand start driver. It might have been uh, it might have been Elmore Feller that taught him how to be a great stand start driver.
7: Yeah, I don't know about that, Toby. No, he, um he, he always was a good um good driver to get him away from a stand, John. Um even oh, I think we were over at the trials at Colabrum one day and Graham Johansson was there, he had a trotter and oh, he was a bugger of a horse to gallop at the start and he put um John on him at the at the trials and the horse went away like a rocket. I can't remember the name of the horse. Yeah yeah. And I think John I think John drove him a fair bit after that and Graham said he he's as good as anybody I've ever seen that can get a horse away from a stand and start and you know, he just got that bit of a knack with him at the stand and um yeah, no, I've been friends with John for oh gee, totally, I don't know. Went to his <laughs> wedding, I think that was in 1990. So,
2: yeah.
7: what's that? Yeah, thirty odd years he's been driving for me. So yeah, no, it's been a good good friendship, and uh, yeah, had a fair bit of ex- success with him.
3: And what do you do with yourself away from the trotters now, up at Barham? You playing bowls, or is that just Carol that plays bowls, or, or what? What do you do <laughs> with your
7: time? No, I don't play bowls. Cody, I, I couldn't Careful. put up with all the wind, you, mate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I'm still working. I, actually, I um, look after the bowling greens up here at Barham. Um, been doing that for a few... Oh, well, not long after I shifted up here, they asked me to do it. Yeah, okay. And, um, yeah, I've never done anything like that before in my life, but, um, yeah, no, I enjoy it. So, um, yeah, doing that and... Oh, um, jogging a couple of horses up for Damien Wilson and Laura Crosland. Oh,
3: yeah?
7: And, um, yeah, doing a couple of our own, so... Yeah, still doing a bit, Toby.
3: Very good, Jeff, mate. Uh, thanks for coming on. Been great to hear a few stories, and yeah, wouldn't have been, wouldn't have minded going on that trip with you and Gav back in the day to Perth. I reckon it would have been an absolute belter.
7: Yeah, it was pretty quiet though back then, oh, I didn't drink now, much then. Now, <laughs> now, <laughs> things <now>. are, <laughs> things have changed a bit, <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I was. I um, had oh, good memories with Gav. Yeah, no, he was no doubt he was one of the best for sure.
3: 100%. Jeff, best of luck with Over the Line and all your runners uh, in the future and those few foals out of Ideal Velocity as well. Great to have you on and learn a bit about your name. Some wouldn't really recognise, but uh, someone like me has got fond memories of watching some of your horses go around in the past like an Elmore fella. So great to catch up and learn a bit about you. And, uh, yeah, best of luck in everything going forward.
7: No worries, Toby. Appreciate that. Thanks a lot.
3: No worries. Welcome back to Trots Life these chats with the gents like Jeff Cakebread, I just absolutely love hearing those old stories. And uh, you just think back, you don't even have to hear the old stories sometime, just hearing about the occasions that they got into. And you know, I mentioned that Brian Johnston one, the Barry Delaney one from a couple of weeks ago with the stewards as well. And hearing the old stories from days gone by and they're just great people of the sport. And uh, we love having them a part of it. And, and, you know, Jeff, not in the sport the way he was through those 80s and 90s as we heard and uh he's still involved though always working one or two horses and passing a little bit of knowledge on as well obviously when he says he's pre-training horses for a for Damien Wilson or or a Laura Crosland, that uh he'd be working those horses and say hey guys when I was working this horse I thought this or whatever And it's just great to have people like Jeff on and uh, looking forward to catching up with him at the trot somewhere. Still in the last half an hour, we've got Jenny Lewis and Nick Brown, young driver, who's moved over from South Australia, caught up with Nick as well. Uh, and we give a little, just, uh, it's a pre-record, so I'll, I'll give that away. And we give Glenn Douglas a little bit of lip along the way, which I enjoy absolutely no end stirring Glenn Douglas up. So it's great to catch up with Nick. He's uh, only driven the eight winners so far, and he's got a horse over, uh, one of his dad's horses over from South Australia, and it's in at Bendigo tonight, Hopper's Dream. Next, Jenny Lewis will be up after the news break. And Jenny is the principal person ahead of Pony Trots in Victoria. And uh, we'll catch up with Jenny on everything that's happening in Pony Trots across Victoria. It is a Wednesday with Wombat. Hope you're having a great day. Let's get this thing rockin' and roll. It should be Miles and Tags, I think, from 1 o'clock. So we'll head out the last half an hour coming right up. And then Miles Tags for a big afternoon fill-up from 1 o'clock. Welcome back to Trots Life. It's your Wednesday edition with Toby McKinnon. I'm now joined by jenny lewis the pony trots coordinator amongst many other things she's doing at harness race in victoria jenny how are you and uh, where best do we find you today
0: hi toby thanks very much for having me look just working from home today so uh, yeah just getting quite comfortable today it's good
3: Now, Pony Trots is, I think you're into full swing, are you? There's been, what, four training days already? And tell us a bit about the training days and how much of a success they've been. I think there's one more again next Tuesday at Melton.
0: That's right. Yep, the training days is what we always start off the season with. So over the winter months, the ponies have been out in the paddock and having a bit of a rest. So the training days gives them a really good chance to... uh, build up some fitness again and and get used to going around on the track. And also, uh, it's a time for the kids to do the same. Um, But importantly, it's a chance for any new families and kids that want to become involved. They have to go through a bit of a qualification and assessment process to make sure that they're safe and, and they get a chance to learn what to do before we let them out racing. I
3: was very busy, but I was there the other day somewhere in those pony trots i think it was at melton there's a few names that i didn't recognize or i haven't seen in prior years there must be some newcomers uh entering into the pony trots fields
0: that's right it's been really really well received so i think a lot of that has to do with our uh, we've ramped up our social media presence we're putting a lot more content out there uh the team at hiv done a great job with that but um also we've had quite a few families that have just must have been on the sidelines for a while and thinking we, we might have a go at this that came down to the training days. Uh it's always that as soon as the kids see it they fall in love with it and the parents really have no choice from there. So um <laughs> yeah. that's what's happened with uh with a few families. So um yeah, and of course we've had all our uh, our previous um Membership and and licensees, they've all come back and uh, brought their ponies back for the next season as well.
3: And a few uh, upcoming events like Kilmore Cups, footy colours, and then there's a couple of uh, Halloween-themed events as well. So... Uh, at Kilmore, do we expect uh, all the drivers to be out in their footy colours? So they'll be wearing a Melbourne jumper or a Storm jumper or or a soccer jumper or whatever, really. I don't think it really matters what footy colours you want to belong to, but is that the idea, that they're going to actually race in their footy colours? Uh,
0: no, for, for safety reasons, we can't let them race in their footy colours, unfortunately, although yeah. uh, I'm sure a lot of them would love to. But what we do with the footy colours, it's just like a bit of a theme. Where I suppose for those people that are used to uh, showing terms, it's like a a lead class type thing. So oh, yeah. the, they just dress themselves and their ponies up. There's no harness or there's no cart or anything that's on the back of the pony. It's just the pony. They dress them up in their footy colours, however they want to do it. And the club are providing um, a judge there to um, to have a look and uh, decide who gets the best presented footy colours trophy on the night. From there, then we'll go uh, take the ponies back to the stalls and get them harnessed up for, for their racing. So um, that's that's what the night's going to be about.
3: Ah, very good. So there's sort of three mm-hmm. competitions. There'll be the, the heat and the final of the Kilmore Cup and and then the footy colours as well. So there's plenty of activity for them. Plus, they do a few other things here. There's been some AFL footballs turn up and all sorts of things on Kilmore Cup night. So it should be a great night.
0: Yeah, um, I was just speaking to um, uh, Christy at Kilmore earlier and she was saying they have a a really big market and all sorts of things happening um, on the same day. So it should be a wonderful day.
3: Now, the calendar is pretty full right up until the Inter-Dominion. So tell us about the Inter-Dominion because there's a pony trot Inter-Dominion with three rounds of heats and a final.
0: That's right. So um we're really serious about promoting our our juniors and our young drivers and we want to make that everything that um that the big horses get so to speak we we mirror with our juniors so um they they love the idea of the interdominion. They're all really striving to to win it. Uh, we've just had uh, confirmation from a few different states actually that yeah. they're bringing some representatives across. So That's should right. be really good. We send out an invitation to every state in Australia that has pony trots or mini trots, and also over to New Zealand as well. So um, we're hoping that there'll be three. Uh, represent, sorry, two representatives in each height category um, from each state in Australia. It'll be it'll be fabulous.
3: That will be amazing. So will they bring? So, will they be bringing all their own horses, or will some of them be provided with local horses, or how does that work?
0: So definitely for the representatives from New Zealand, that's been a traditional thing that we do um, is the host state will offer some ponies for those kids coming over from New Zealand. Um, I'm not sure about uh, Queensland, whether they're going to be bringing their own ponies, but absolutely uh, South Australia and uh, New South Wales, they'll bring their own ponies. Not quite sure about Tasmania, but we'll see.
3: Very good, very, very good. Uh, from January onwards, I haven't seen a calendar. Is there a calendar out from January onwards or is that uh, in the making still?
0: No, no, so the calendar, it's not out. I just thought I wouldn't want to bombard everyone with lots and lots of dates just yet. <laughs> so we just thought we'd publish August to December. That's enough for people to digest, especially because um, that includes the Inter-Dominion. So that'll, that'll keep all our Pony Trot families busy. But what we have got going as well is a couple of smaller competitions within the year. So one yeah. of them is our Country Cup Champion. So, just like um a horse would be named you know country cups um i don't know what like yeah, exactly. the country Cup horse, Trotter and pacer and whatever, so we have we have that for our ponies and our drivers as well so um and also we have a metropolitan series as well, so we have i think it's five races starting in January, so it just mirrors the the big horse calendar, i suppose so um yeah, so we have a couple of little competitions and championships within the year that we can award as well.
3: Yeah, I love that idea. Mm-hmm. I know the Paces is the Country Cup Championship, and the Mary's Idol Trophy goes to the winning Trotter. And uh, for the ponies to do that, because that sort of answers my next question. That that means that it'll get right around the state as well. So all the clubs, the Ararat Stalls, Horshams, Hamiltons, Tarangs, Borts. Uh, all the clubs, Wedderburns, Yarravelles, Warrigals, all get a go at uh, hosting some pony trots and all the local kids to those tracks can have a little crack as well.
0: Yeah, that's right. And I'm hoping that um, pony trots will obviously build in momentum as we go through the year. So it's something, an extra facet that each country club can use to attract people in the local community to come along and have a look because everyone loves a pony. (laughs) <laughs> like It's it's just always one of the most popular things with any race meeting we find. So um, that'll be a really good thing for clubs to be able to use with, with their marketing to their community and hopefully get some kids and families along that wouldn't otherwise have, um, have thought to come. But um, yeah, it, it should be a really, really good year. So like I said, we've gone from August with our training days. Our racing has started um, last weekend, as you mentioned, at uh, Melton and then we go all the way through to the middle of June until the weather gets too cold because no one wants to come out with ponies when it's freezing cold. So that's when we have our rest and get going again um, the next August. So yeah, it's a full on calendar but um, hopefully we can get all around the state and we have great numbers that keep um, increasing and and we build it up to be something really amazing and, and special for all the kids.
3: Two-week school holidays coming up as well for all the parents with pony trot kids. And no doubt that'll be a time where I saw a video of Stacey Towers leading one, driving one and leading one or something. But uh, hopefully she can have a few weeks off and all the kids are out working their ponies each day in preparation for the big upcoming season during school holidays at least. I know a lot of them still do it before and after school, but uh, with school holidays, they've got no excuse. They should be out doing uh, their ponies every day, Jen.
0: That's right, that's right. And you mentioned the school holidays and before also there's a training day at Melton. So uh, I know Tabcorp Park has gone to great lengths to put on um, a, a day showcasing the pony trots and putting it out there to their local community. So we're going to host a training day on the same day and it's going to be sort of a real interactive thing for for kids that otherwise, like I mentioned before, wouldn't think about coming along to a, a racetrack. So the ponies will definitely be a draw card for that. And we're going to have a bit of a kid's day out there. So it should be good. Anyone listening that wants to come along, uh, everyone's welcome. I think you do have to register, but uh, I think there's still some places there in which you can.
3: Is that Tuesday the 20th, next Tuesday?
0: Tuesday 20th, that's right. Yeah, yep. beautiful. Yeah, so I think first week of school holidays.
3: Very good, Jenny. Thank you very much for coming mm. on. Great to always catch up on the pony trots.
0: Great. Thanks, Toby.
3: There's Jenny Lewis. Welcome back to Trot's Life with Toby McKinnon. Our next guest is a young rainsman from South Australia who has moved over to Victoria of recent times, Nick Brown. Nick, mate, firstly, uh, how are you and whereabouts are you today?
2: I am good. And, yeah, working out in uh, Strathfield, say for Glen or Julie Douglas.
3: For Glenn and Julie Douglas, that's okay. There's a lot yeah. of training partnerships out there. Julie brings sanity and reason, and Glenn brings everything else. And you could tell him I said that if you want.
2: Yeah, I think he'd agree with you there.
3: (laughs) He would, you know. I call him my uh, sanity checker. Whenever I'm feeling like I'm half mad, I go and have a conversation with Glenn and then I feel 100% normal again. (laughs) (laughs) That's the way. (laughs) That'll get back to him and I'm happy for that. I'll see see you soon, Glenn. Now, Nick, tell us a little bit about your background. A lot of people would know both Peter and Terry Brown over in South Australia and your name's Nick Brown and uh, I'm pretty sure we can join the dots here, but I'll I'll let you tell us.
2: Yeah, so Dad come from over this way. He used to live down in Seymour. He grew up there for the first know 20 years of his life, I think. Yeah, yeah. And then he met Mum in SA when they were over there to race horses, I think. And then the rest is history, pretty much. They moved over there, I think it was 30, 30 years ago. Yep. And then... They've been married, I think, it's coming up to twenty-seven years now.
3: And nineteen or nineteen years ago, you uh, you joined the family, mate. You got brothers and sisters as well, or is it just just you flying solo?
2: I've got one younger sister who's ten, Charlie, who does pony trots back yep. home. You, yeah, I,
3: you did pony trots as well in South Australia.
2: Yeah, that I did from the age of, I think, about 6 to 15. Yeah. From where I could get me trial licence and started driving at trials, and that eventually worked me way up to the races.
3: Yeah, and your first winner. Tell us a bit about your first winner, which was, would have been back in South Australia. I think your dad might have trained it too.
2: Yeah, it was dad's horse. Oh, it wasn't dad's horse, but dad, mum was trained in it. Yep. And, yeah, grin again, it was called. I don't think she's had a start many starts since because we sent her over to Mildura after she won yeah yeah to try and get her half vic bread bonus for the owner and yeah she was had problems like she could build her knee and haven't heard much from her since she come back didn't get, have any luck over there and I think she's uh been a riding horse somewhere
3: uh, very good and mate uh you've only had the eight winners but You've had one very special day in the card, October 25th, 2021.
2: Yes, yes. Was that the two for Phil Westbury? That's the double,
3: mate, the running double, which when you've only had eight winners, to get a running double is pretty unusual. Do
2: you want to know the funny thing about that? Yeah, tell us. I've actually driven two doubles in my life. Have you? I didn't know that. Yeah, I've had... Two, which and one of them was on the same horse. Yeah. But I went two for Bill Westbury. Yeah. Which I don't think it was. The, I don't think it was the running double. But it was. They were both at the start of the day 151s. And yeah, they both got up. And then the other one was again one for Phil Westbury, which was Giant Jackson. And then the second horse of the running double was. Jake, sports writer, one for Shane Lowe.
3: Yeah, very good, mate. Bit of a thrill when you get a couple of winners like that. Is is there a reason for it, or was it just one of those things that it just fell into place, or did you get out of did you get out of bed differently those mornings?
2: What was that? Sorry,
3: was there a reason for why you got a double those days? Did you do anything different, like you got out of bed differently those days, or something, or was it just the luck of the luck of the day?
2: I. Just the luck of the day. The the two for Westry, they'd both been going good. Like the time before, they like bigger form wasn't that great, but Phil they were going all right. And then yeah, the other one was the with Shane Loon and Phil was we thought um, Giant Jackson could win before like not before going out, but we thought he'd have a chance in it. And Jake Sports Right, he was he's always seemed to be around the mark. He goes alright for Shane Loon. What was what was the
3: uh motivation to come over over to Victoria and, and work in Victoria?
2: I've actually been over a couple of times just working and that, uh once for David Aiken and then once for Glenn. Yeah. And Julie. And then I got a call I don't know how long ago it was, but uh, probably be four months now from Glen saying, oh, do you want a job? Yep. I can offer you this so, and so on and so on. And then, yeah, the rest is I've just been over here.
3: Do you like the training side of it more or the
2: driving side of it more? No, I'd probably go with the... I, I, I enjoy the training side of things a little like And the drones, like it's a part that don't mind enjoy it of course but like it's not the main reason like i enjoy have, like at home we've got the few trotters and that enjoy watching them come and have with trotters you can get them trotting better and all that that's yeah. one of the things i do enjoy about it
3: yeah yeah very good now you've got a you've only had a couple of drives since coming over you got one at bendigo race four number four hopper's dream and it's probably been your best chance so far in the few drives you've had this stint over in Victoria. Anyway, uh, you, you're confident of a forward showing.
2: Yeah, yeah. I see. I've always, we've had me and Dad have had her since bloody I think she was a three-year-old when we got her. But we got her over as a trotter originally. Yeah. And then and then she's won a race trotting not for Dad, and then bloody she went sore put her out and then she come back and all she wanted to do was pace so then we put the hubbles on her i said oh, we will give this a go and then this is a second prep as a pacer her first prep she had a few starts back home and then we sent her up to mildura yeah yeah i've sent her up to broken hill and she i think she won a couple at broken hill and then raced at Mildura to get her bonus, got that. And then, yeah, then we took her back home, gave her a spell. And she's come back over here. She's had one start for Dad at Mildura, where she ran fifth. That's right. Sat in the desk talking about the bell lap. And, yeah, I've always liked her. I drove her in her first uh, start, and she galloped away in that. But that's another story.
3: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. She... She was at Broken Hill for Tony Camilleri, who's a dead-set character, mate. I don't know if you've had much to do with him, but boy, oh boy, he's a character.
0: Yeah.
2: (laughs) Him and Dad are real, like, real, real good mates. They go back a fair way. Yeah, okay. And, yeah, I say I've, I've met him a couple of times. He's a real good bloke. And, yes, he is a character.
3: He certainly is a character. I'm not sure we can say his nickname on air. So we'll just we'll just leave it as Tony for now. No, yeah, we're probably not allowed. GC uh, Sal. We could have it a whole two hours on Tony Camilleri, but it'd have to be uh, played at about 1 in the morning, unfortunately, mate. Uh, Nick?
2: I was gonna
3: say yeah. <laughs> Best of luck with uh Hopper's dream and uh I reckon your first win's not far away and, and by record, I tell you what, if you win race four and I had a horse in race five or later in the card, I'd be sacking me driver instantly <laughs> and putting you on the way you get doubles. How's that sound?
2: Yeah, yeah, it's probably not the Strangest thing. Yeah. For some reason, got a bit of luck with them.
3: Yeah. All right, Nick. I'll let you go, mate. I'll let you get back to work. Uh, say good day to Glenn for me and stir him up, will you? And tell him, uh, warn him up as much as you can so when I see him at the races next, week we can have a bit of fun with him.
2: Right, EO. Thanks. Will do. Thank you for having me.
3: No worries. Thanks, Nick. Best of luck, mate. Thank you.
4: You're listening to Wednesdays with Wombat on SEN Track with Toby McKinnon.
1: Another big addition there of Wednesdays with Wombat, Toby McKinnon. He'll be back tomorrow as will Jason Bonington. Trot's life right around Australia, 11am tomorrow. Don't miss any of. That. 499 736 Get in touch. We've got a big Wednesday coming your way. Not only have we got the six-timer, the superstar tipster in Miles Fitzner and David Taggett, we've got the little man, the other little man, the superstar from the Sydney Swans, who's preparing himself for a prelim final this week against the Swanney, against the Pies, I should say. A big game coming up at the SCG on Saturday afternoon, 445. Tommy Papley. Tag said, no, you cannot not come in today. You're a good luck charm. We need winners and we need footy tips uh, or footy chat as well because uh, the D's are out. So, sucked in tags, straight sets. And perhaps he lives to fight another day, which is good. So, we've got plenty to come throughout the afternoon. Sandown, Warwick Farm, Doomben, Belmont, and Balaclava, as well as Narandra uh, as well. We've got Chris Nelson going to join us from. For some Doombin tips, we've got Tommy Hackett from Ladbrokes as well to get us going there. And have you ever wanted to own a horse? My racehorse and the Same Racer app could make it a reality. To enter, download the Same Racer app and submit two same race multis to be in the running. To go in the running to be crowned the punter of the week for twenty weeks. Punter of the week will win ten micro shares in my racehorse's exciting new two-year-old colt, by first season sire Grunt. Download the Same Racer app today. And submit your same race multis. For your chance to win, T's and C's apply. Make sure you jump on board. We've got a big afternoon coming your way. Miles has got that look in his eye that it's going to be a big, big day. Number seven here at Sandown for Miles to kick things off in race number one. And first at Narandra is five minutes away as well. If you want to get in touch, at SEN underscore track. Look for the article there with all the best bets. Paps' best bets, Miles' best bets, Tag's best bets. All on the article at SEN underscore track. You won't miss them. You can't miss them if you read that article right there, but we'll get the mounting yard done as well. At SEN underscore track, SEN track on Instagram. Keep up to date with all the vision there. And 0499-736-736. Wednesdays are always fun. Time to get it going. Coming up after the news, Miles Fitzner, David Taggart, and the little man, number 11, Tom Hapley.